Hello, and welcome to Alpha Podflight, where every episode a guest joins me to talk about a single issue of the comic Alpha Flight. My name's Gareth A. Hopkins, and this time I'm joined by... Douglas Nelson. Hello, I'm Douglas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm you, right. you do your bit now, yeah. I see, I've done these things before, I've not. <clears throat> this is the first time. I'm Douglas Noble. I'm a comic creator and artist, and uh, most known for the comic Strip For Me, in all its multifarious formats. Yeah, and that's how I know you, obviously, as well as... Yep. Uh, right, and this week, uh, this week, this episode, we're going to be covering Alpha Flight number nine. Um, the creative team on it was, um, I'll read out the credits as they're listed, um, which is John Byrne, Project Director, Andy Yankus, Spectography, Michael Higgins, Signals, Denny O'Neill, Project Manager, and Jim Shooter, Inc., Funding. Uh, and that's because this comic is set in a research station. Um, which we'll come to in a second. Douglas, before I invited you onto the podcast, what did you know about Alpha Flight? Uh, so in terms of issues read, that's yep. a zero. Okay. <laughs> um, I've literally nothing. I couldn't name them. Um, I um, have read an appearance of them when they gate crashed a picnic in the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, gate crashing is a bit so as far as I'm concerned they're a Canadian team I knew that yeah. they gate crash picnics maybe that's mostly what they do um, certainly seeing the cover of this one I was like that's a man called Wendigo so that's the first thing I learned in this <laughs> that is not a man called Wendigo no it's so not. there you go <clears throat> learning new things all the time yeah I knew nothing about um, the Alpha Flight Okay, and well, what's interesting maybe is that uh, this is the first issue of Alpha Flight that I ever read, because um, I didn't know anything at all about them until I picked up Alpha Flight Classic Number Two in the works for a fiver, which is a story I'll probably relate a number of times in this podcast. I apologise for anybody who carries on listening, um, but yes, yeah, so it, this is the first one in the trade, uh, and it's the first one I read. And what's interesting about it as an Alpha Flight um, comic is that it's only got one member of Alpha Flight. It's got two stories and each one covers one member of Alpha Flight. Um, I was very much expecting to be um, confronted with a team of people, yeah. uh, Canadian people, but there was no team action going on. None at all. Um, so, I think there's actually only three Marvel characters in this comic, um, which we'll cover after I you have done the synopsis of what happens. <laughs> Two stories then, yes. Yeah. Uh, so um, let's go through this quickly. So there are two stories in this. There is uh, the first one, Things Aren't Always What They Seem, in which um, John Burns had the suggestion, by the looks of one of the credits, um, to do the thing in the Marvel continuity. So it's a... Um, Research station. Yeah. Research station in the Arctic Circle, and we know that because um, the very first page tells us that the Northern Lights are uh, aglow. Yeah. Um, for some reason, a man I thought was Wendigo, but it's actually called Sasquatch. Yeah. Is up there helping them redesign satellite dishes so that they can investigate a waveform 
and possibly manifest it. That seems to be what's going on anyway. Yeah, um, so Walter Langowski is um, an expert on gamma radiation and radiation in general. Um, so in this case, he's been called up to help some uh, some other scientists work out what this cosmic radiation is. Sorry, carry and on. The other, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other scientists are um, some men with moustaches. Yeah, grumpy men. And a lady that looks like a man with <laughs> a moustache. <laughs> um, it's but you can tell she's a lady because she's wearing pink. Yes. So you know, John Byrne has covered all the bases. Um, so they investigate the um, waveform. They push up the um, the volume of it as far as they can, uh, essentially, and that means that something beams down into the satellite dish, which scientifically, scientifically, just seems possibly on the edge of. Credulity, but you know, well, no, that's, what, that's what satellite dishes were originally designed for, wasn't it? Uh, well, <laughs> grabbing see, people you, out of space time and dumping them on Earth. That makes sense. So, as, as I say, something beams down, and indeed, it is something. It is the Fantastic Four's thing. Yes, which is very exciting for everybody. Could we know that because he's on the cover, so or at least yeah. his hand is. Yes. So they all rush out. Um, they go, here's the thing. We can't drag him in. He's too big. And the man, the skinny blonde fellow um, investigating the, the radiation turns into not Wendigo, but Sasquatch <laughs> and carries in the thing, which is great. So you know, lovely. Um, he then takes apart the wall of one of the um, the buildings. Yeah. Just sort of just leave it. I don't know what kind of. I think it must be a demountable, and he just it's takes off one of the walls of the demountable. I mean, we're we're in the Arctic Circle here, so there's no way. Because the, the doctor that's happily sitting there with his crossed reading the lancet is very surprised at this, but he doesn't look cold. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's, it should have maybe thicker walls than this. But um, so yeah, you're Canadian, the, um, though. They're, they're, they're made from hardier stock. Hardy, it's, it's, yeah, Yukon Ho. Um, <laughs> So um, Sasquatch brings the thing into the doctor. The doctor grabs his head and he says, oh, this is very, this is out with my um, realms of expertise, um, but gives him a look anyway. Everybody else wanders off and leaves the doctor by himself with the body of the superhero that's come from space. And, of course, then the doctor is killed by something. Yeah. Or something. Something, yeah. It's, that's terrible, isn't it? But <laughs> um, meanwhile, back in the lounge, um, the, the lady in pink is making some pretty lewd comments towards the Sasquatch, Sasquatch fellow now that he's back in human form. That's one of my favourite panels, actually. She's <laughs> taken her shoe off and she's rubbing his leg under the table. Um, she is. Yeah, I love that. Yes, and uh, basically... He's saying, oh, yeah, I turn into a giant super, uh, super monster thing. And she's like, oh, but everything enlarges proportionally. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's the, the kind of dialogue that Kevin Smith probably really loved at the time. Yeah. But, uh, you can just see Kevin Smith rubbing his little shorts as a, as a young <laughs> young man, but getting very, oh, this is amazing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Um, and then immediately somebody runs in and goes, the doctor's been, uh, he actually doesn't, he's a man rushes in and he says, 
come quick, something's happening in the infirmary. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. It's, he likes to add a bit of mystery to it. Yeah. Which if somebody's dead, please just you know come in and say there's been a death. We need to investigate. Investigate. Um, so they all rush in. Um, again, more examples of this building being flimsy because without turning into the monster, the Sasquatch fellow just runs straight through a door. Yeah. One thing you don't know about him, though, is that before he was a an expert in radiation and a world-famous scientist, he was a world-famous American football player. Of course he was. That is um, the kind of career switch that one would expect. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but we'll come on to Sasquatch in a bit. Yeah, ca- carry on. So there's okay, a, so he smashes in the door with his brawny shoulder. The doctor, who was previously um, strangled, I think, um, is, has now also been roasted. Yeah. Just just to make sure, and the body of the thing has vanished. Um, so the uh, Sasquatch fellow is like, well, you know what? There's a big hole in the, the um, in the wall, and they have some dialogue about. The wall being pushed in or pushed out, and there only being one set of tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of obfuscation just to just to fill space, as far as I can tell. It doesn't come to anything, and it doesn't mean anything. Um, I. You can disagree if you we'll want. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay. So off he goes. Um, he rushes up a hill. Um. Uh, Realizing as he goes that the person or thing that took the thing or has gone off has uh, evinced um, powers including invisibility, fire, um, strength, and stretchiness. (laughs) Of course he does. Stretching, burning, maybe invisibility and super strength. Who does that? It's the whole Fantastic Four. Now, at this point, even I, who don't read a huge amount of Marvel, figured it out. Right. Which is is surprising to everybody, I think. Um, (laughs) So um, then there's an explosion. Uh, He finds Megan. Uh, Sorry, the the base blows up for no good reason when the um, Sasquatch fell away. Um, He runs back. He says, Megan, what's wrong? This is the lady that was playing footsie with him under the table earlier. Uh, She dies. Um, and then the mo- then he starts shouting into into the fire, uh, monster! Can you hear me? I know you're still here, monster. I would have seen you if you flew away. Now, considering he turns into a like nine foot monster himself, this is a bit rich. But out of the flames comes the shadowy figure of the super scroll, yes. the alien shape shifting person with the the powers of the entire Fantastic Four. So he's got. The thing's arms, he's stretching a lot. He's, uh, he's not actually being invisible at the moment, but he's on <laughs> fire. I don't know where I know the Super Scroll from. This is, uh, well, because I didn't, I didn't know of the Super Scroll. So th- he, seeing him was actually a big surprise for me. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he's great. Um, I, I love him because uh, he's got all the power of Fantastic Four and just, he just wanders around being super. <laughs> really? how, could, how, how could you love him yeah um, okay so that's uh, the first so that's part. story one and then story two is story two my mirror 
Yeah, the stranger in my mirror. So a um, 13-year-old girl uh, wanders up onto the roof of a convent school or a Magdalene house yeah. or something like that. It's a, it's a, we're told it's pretty, a pretty horrible place to be for it's a 13 like Catholic orphanage, I think. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, wanders up. She talks about how um, a number of years ago she had found this. Um, in fact, I think it says eight years ago she had found this. Um, and she's now only 13 years. So when she was five years old, she was up on the roof of this, yeah. this building. Wandering around and nobody, nobody seemed to care. But anyway, John Burns very interested in drawing the legs of this 13-year-old girl as she can, um, decides to commit suicide, uh, flings herself off the roof. But of course, this 13-year-old girl has the power of fight, and she yeah. has a wee fly around, and she feels great. Uh, and then she goes and tells a nun about it, who's very angry about the whole thing. Um, this isn't a miracle. This is blasphemy. Don't make stuff up. Yeah. Um, so then she mopes around uh, for a while. She, has to <laughs> she do mopes with... around. She is, she... She, is, uh, she is a victim of, of abuse by the Catholic Church. Well, no, she's, she's, <laughs> she's given uh, a thousand Hail Marys to do. Yeah. It, which, as it says, for a thousand Hail Marys take a long time to say. Yeah. But yeah, four I mean, hours, there's also the there, four hours. It doesn't minutes. go into the graphicness of it, but it does say, and her punishment does not end with the physical. So she does get beaten up by the nun. You see a cane in, and in more. the panel, and more, yeah. Sorry, carry on. Well, it's I'm spiritual. It's the spiritual punishment I think he's getting into there, which is doing a thousand Hail Marys, which, like I say, I figured it out, takes about four hours, ten minutes. <laughs> anyway, but she also. <laughs> Then she, then she looks in the mirror, and in the mirror she sees herself as a uh, older, kind of wilder version, yep. shall we say. I don't know if she's supposed to be older, actually, because it's very hard to tell um, when she's 13 or not. Anyway, so um, we see her looking in the mirror, um, saying, and, and her sort of devil self is saying, don't be afraid, I'm your friend here, bring you a very special present and yeah. bring, bring you freedom and then we cut we cut to three days later and in she's into the courtyard of the convent staggers uh jean i think she's called um jean, uh, jean marie jean marie yes Is sorry right? i don't know um, so in, uh, oh, God. In, in, i can't remember in she stands, uh, with all the all the other school girls pointing at her saying she's back um the the sister's uh, gonna kill her. Um, where have you been? It's been three days. Sister Anne is just about having kittens. Are you wearing makeup? Yeah. And she, am I? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, leave me alone, all of you. Please leave me alone. So this third, she's still thirteen at this point. Yeah. He has been missing for three days. She's come back wearing makeup. And. The reaction of the nun is time for a beating. Yes. So uh, yeah. So um, they basically say they're going. She's going to drive out the evil of the girl. We see the nun's fist and cane and red, and then cut. Months and years pass in one panel. I don't, so I'll just quickly come back to. That. I don't know if you noticed it, but um, the nun says you have the look of the devil about you, and it's because she's got pointy ears. She what? She's got pointy ears. 
She does have pointy ears. Good lord. <laughs> like that. So she the the lens the is going to beat the ears off her. That's the kind of detail that you'd miss if you weren't paying attention. <laughs> so so uh, and years pass and um, we see her and she's like, OK, I've grown up. She's very prim. She's very proper. She's wearing glasses and a, a business suit. And she's talking to none and says this. It's great. I'm going to I'm now going to be in on the this teaching staff of the school. The nun takes her to the smallest, coldest room in the house where the late father of the orphanage had died. In On the, the very bed that she was being... That we're giving you. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful touch. It's um, very Virginia Andrews. Um, so it's uh, it's kind of like... she's Basically, um, she's got Stockholm Syndrome from being beaten by the nun for months and years. And two panels later, she looks in the mirror and there's that old devil self again. Yeah. Yep. You know, you flew once in the past. Shall we Shall we do something fun again? And she breaks the mirror, but again, almost immediately, she's out on the town in Montreal. Hello? Montreal. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep, hello? I'm still here. Yep. Yeah, sorry, cut out briefly. You're right. All right, good, good, good. Uh, yeah, so out in the town in Montreal, everybody's having a great time. Oh, she's having a great time. There are lights, there are colours. There is a man, for some reason, who's gone out dressed as John Travolta in 1983. Yeah. So it's a, a good a good half decade after Saturday Night Fever came out. Um, and he's tried to chat her up by saying, uh, oh, I'm a cancer, what's yours? That sign. To which John Byrne has written one of the, the least tasteful and Least funny jokes I've read in a very long time. Well, I, I, and, and, and she's and, and also this does tip us off. I think for the maybe the first time in the strip that she's French Canadian. Uh, so she says, uh, "So you are a cancer, but Cherie, that must be so painful for you." Yeah. Which is kind of it's not a clever answer, it's not a funny answer, but it's okay. It's okay because the next panel is much worse. <laughs> So uh, in case anybody's offended, um, John Byrne decides to have a bunch of men uh, threatening to rape her as she wanders. Um, basically, she's gone to a nightclub and then she's decided that it's time for a little walk through like, the rough part of town. Yeah. And it, it seems strange, but she does actually say that on the next, next page, next panel, this is exciting. I get a sense of imminent danger. And then hands come out from a, an alleyway, pull her in, pulling her in. Um, come here, girly, we ain't going to hurt you much. Play nice, and maybe we can all have some fun. But she's obviously a super heroine of some sort, so she punches him, or something? It's, it's I think she punches him super fast. It's not actually... It's one of the, the sort of things that only makes sense if you've read, if you know who Aurora is. So we're on issue nine now. If you've read issues one through eight then you might have yeah. some idea of what she's doing yes because well, it was it's unclear to me whether it was a, a very fast fast punch or whether there was some kind of ray gun or explosion yeah it looks pretty much like the man's heart's exploding out of his chest <laughs> in that art um but meanwhile not far away uh, wolverine is stalking her um because he picked up on something odd about that frail which is nice. Yep. Um, 
and has just followed her, like he's in the film In the City of Sylvia. He's just following women around for for fun. Um, and he's he's close enough to have seen what's happened, but he's no, also no, he's just, heard what happened. He, how could he hear what? He, how could he hear the punch? Where's that? Oh no, maybe he hasn't. It says not far away. Maybe he is just like hanging out under a light. He's hanging out under um, under a lamppost, like Father Merrick in The, the Exorcist. Um, again, it's the kind of reference that really, you know, would would be top notch for this. Um, yeah. So, meanwhile, she, apparently she's she having punched somebody once at, at super speed. There's now a second assailant. Um, but she can't punch him at super speed for some reason that's not really explained. Um, so Wolverine steps in, pops one of his claws through his glove, ruining a good, perfectly good pair of gloves. Yeah. Um, just kind of threatens the man until he goes away, takes off his hat and says, I'm Wolverine. Hey, everybody's happy. Um, <laughs> and then the next thing we see is he and um, Aurora the coffee shop where a giant waitress looks on um, disapprovingly because Wolverine has his feet up on the seats. Um, yeah. And he said, he basically he says, my friend Jimmy uh, would be interested in you. How do you fancy going to Ottawa? And she says, I'm up for anything. Yes. Um, which is kind of great. Um, even though deep within her, a small voice cries no, but I'm up for anything. And up is in inverted commas like... Um, <laughs> like the Russ Mayer movie title. Um, so you have to wonder what's going on. But that's it. Contact has been made with the yes. girl who become Aurora. So I'm guessing all this is happening like years ago. This is, yeah. So what was what was happening is that the first, oh, flipping loads of the, loads of the initial issues were split between the story that was being told in current continuity, and then like origins of each of the characters. So um, sometimes the origins were split over two issues. Some of them they were self-contained in this, uh, and some of them are intertwined a little bit. So uh, the, the, pa- the very last panel of the comic says next week, uh, next issue, we'll find out about her twin brother Northstar, mm-hmm. uh, and and their sort of their origins are connected, um, and you'll find out in the next issue what that is so yeah so that was what was going on in alpha flight at the time so um john Byrne had, had sort of the story that i understand whether it's correct or not is that he'd sort of been convinced by marvel that as well as working on fantastic four uh, writing and drawing every month he should also do alpha flight because it was very popular after they'd appeared in x-men yep. um and so he'd been given this group of characters and the quickest way to sort of bottom out the characters was to tell their origin every week rather than have some sort of special issue in 20 issues which would explain who they are so yeah and some of them are better than others uh, uh aurora is a weird character to talk about uh which uh we can do a little of now since since oh that's i where think we, we should are. i think i think there's a lot to unpack in these yeah six pages um yeah i mean you can see what John Byrne's trying to go for. Um, he's, he's trying to do, he's trying to uh, weld carry onto um, superhero, uh, superheroes. He's trying to say, ah, look, here's she's 13. Uh, she's coming into womanhood. It's the 1980s after all. Yeah. 
Um, this is how her powers... Well, that's when women are. started coming into womanhood, wasn't it? They hadn't done it before yeah. the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what's going on there. Um, and it's, it, I mean, it's a subtle tea. I, I've, I've seen his work on um, Alpha Flight described as subtle in the past. And it's not on, <laughs> not particularly on um, display here. Um, he has, yeah, well, he has subtleties. So, uh, and it came up in the in the podcast I recorded with Phil from Alphlight.net. Um, he has a way of handling the characters um, where there are subtleties to them. He understands the core of the character. Um, the trouble is sometimes that core is extreme. So a character like Aurora, what it probably hasn't, it's not, he hasn't made it clear in this origin, but she has split personality disorder. Mm. I think that, that, that came through because she talks to mirrors and yeah. the mirrors looks like different. Yeah, look different That's, to her. Yeah. Uh, um, so the oldest way of doing it, I think. So there's Aurora, who is um, a promiscuous, uh, imp- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, she, uh, oh God, what's the word that means you do stuff without thinking about it very much? Impulsive. Impulsive, that's the one. She's impulsive, promiscuous, uh, and um, then there's Jean-Marie, who is doesn't have any mutant powers um, and is very tight-laced and thinks that Aurora is a sinner. So there's... The Nutty the Professor then, right? Yes, very much like that. Um, uh, yeah, so, and there's this... Um, it does actually make her a terrible superhero. Um, so in another issue, she gets trapped and reverts back to her Jean-Marie persona and starts screaming that everybody's a freak, um, uh, which isn't really what you want. If, if, if you're a superhero and you get into a fight, you want to be able to get out of it, not just start having a go at everyone. Uh, yeah, so how, he han- how Byrne handles the split personality disorder is is a bit weird to be honest uh, like maybe he hasn't got he hasn't read a lot about it <laughs> um, oh I, I, I think we can we can safely say that yeah but um, it's it's what Aurora has got going for her is that when is the, the cause of both characters are clear um, when other writers take over from burn later on um, they they don't get her. So whether or not she's a good character is is if put that to one side. Whether the character that she is is well written, Byrne does a good job at that. Whereas other writers don't get her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, Bill Mantlo took out, took on the comic after that, and she just becomes a uh, an exposition character. Or, and she cares about everybody, but not in a in a motherly way, which is absolutely not the character that Byrne had designed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, and then the other the other part of her is that uh, on top of all this childhood trauma, which has forced these two personalities, she's also got her her brother Northstar, her twin brother Northstar, um, who was written as a gay character, uh, and so when it's never explicitly said until sometime in the 90s that he's gay. So Byrne writes him as a gay character um, and when she um, she makes all sorts of like, when she's Aurora she makes playful jokes about it which he hates but when she's Jean-Marie she's like properly nasty to him 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, right. Was uh, is, yeah. Go on. Well, one of the things I was, I was wondering when I was reading this is the something I just thought was funny, and then thought, oh no, no, maybe maybe there's some planning here. Maybe this is something that gets explained in a later story. Yeah. Is those three days that she goes missing when she's thirteen? Now, if there's if that's been set up because oh actually she's off um, being experimented on or you know there's there's a story reason for these three days yeah um, that's kind of less weird. There is, that, there, there, as far as I'm aware, I mean I've read a, a bunch of other flight. I haven't read all of it, but I can't remember that missing three days being alluded to again. I think this is the the, the key to every puzzle. Uh, <laughs> these are the missing three days that we really need to dig into. What's going on at these points? She comes back wearing makeup. Yeah. So you know, you know something's happened. Um. Yeah. I don't know, but well, she has her mutant power. Her mutant powers develop because they all do it at puberty, don't they? So um, she can fly. So her her, her mutant power, I, I should have said is that she can fly really fast um, and North Star 2. But that's it. She can move and fly really fast. But th- there's a weird caveat to it, is that they don't perceive reality any faster. Okay. Um, which is... It just doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest. Because if you're going to go super fast, but you can't perceive what's happening around you, you're just going to get into trouble really quickly. Yes. Well, you're going to run into things. Yeah, Exactly. But, um, so that's their power. And then the other part of the power is that when they hold hands or touch at all, they like uh, there's a blinding light around them. So that's why she's Aurora and he's North Star. They're like a big light. Well, I thought the Aurora possibly was the uh, was the only thing tying the um, the two stories together because obviously the first one begins with um, the Northern Lights. Yes. A very strange depiction of the Northern Lights. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's, uh, I, he hasn't inked his brush enough and he's dragged it up the page. Yeah. 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 I, was up in, I was up in Iceland last month and it doesn't look like that. <laughs> no, I quite like it. It's got a nice sort of photocopied vibe to it. But no, it doesn't look like the uh, Northern Lights. Um, yeah. Uh, one other thing quickly on Aurora. What was it? Oh, you mentioned her accent. Yes. Um, uh Aurora. Yes. Well, she's from Quebec, isn't she? So she's yeah. French-Canadian? Yes, she is French-Canadian. Aurora speaks with this full-on, cliché, almost parody Canadian accent. She calls everyone Cherie, um, whereas um, Jean-Marie speaks only French. She'll speak English if she has to, but she doesn't like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of Aurora's dialogue is painful to read sometimes. Um she sounds like Gambit. She reads like Gambit, basically. She exactly like Gambit, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, we come back to Sasquatch then. Uh, ah, good, old, good old Wendigo. Uh, oh, Wendigo, yeah. Um, now, Wendigo and... is a Marvel villain, I'm thinking now. I think this is where my wires have got, got yeah, across. Yeah, Wendigo is uh, a villain from the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. No, is he a Canadian? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the story I've read with him in is that Wolverine first appearance story where um, but I can't remember where they have a big Hulk, Wolverine and the Wendigo have a big fight but I can't remember where it is 
it's in the forest somewhere, so it could be Canada. Could be Canada. Yeah. It's good. It's good to sort these things out because because <laughs> certainly John Byrne wants us very, very, very specifically to know that we're talking about Canadians in this. Yep. Uh, it's the the word Canada is the fifth word in in this comic. Yes. Or Canada's, I should say. But um, and, and then he then he drops the um the the Robert Service quote as well. So you know as much Canada as you can you can handle. And then that's the first page done. He's also put in the Aurora Borealis. And then there's a story that could literally happen anywhere there's snow. Yeah. So he kind correct. of take, takes his, he's like, right, the whole point of this is it's Canadian. Here's your Canadian page. I'll see, I'll see you later in the orphanage. <laughs> yeah. I suppose um, uh, Sasquatch, I guess, is like, he's the Canadian Bigfoot, isn't he? So I guess that's what he, the idea of him is. Um, yeah, but it's, it's one of those weird things, as, as we mentioned earlier. Alpha Flight is a team book where the team very rarely gets together. Mm, yeah, uh, when they I, when I, they I do, expect- they all hate each other. So, um, yeah. yeah, as I said, I was expecting sort of more picnic um, attacks <laughs> and, and maybe uh, some more Canadian-themed um, uh, heroes. I, I don't know. All the all the heroes have something which makes them uniquely Canadian, apart from Puck and Marina, I think. So the, the core team which we're introducing next X-Men. So you've got Sasquatch, who's like Canadian Bigfoot. Okay. You've got Guardian, who wears a massive... He's supposed to be the Canadian equivalent to Captain America, and he wears a massive maple leaf on his costume. Fair enough. Um, Aurora and North Star are like Canadian sky things. Um, Shaman is like a native uh, indigenous American. Oh, I'm very glad I didn't get to read that story. Um, and who else? Oh, and Snowbird is a character who's half god and can turn into any animal within the Arctic Circle, which limits her to, I think, a wolf, a bear, an owl. <laughs> And then later on, some some more interesting made up animals. Um, but yeah, so that's that's how Canadian she is. A puffin? Has she ever been a puffin? Possibly. It's never come up in a fight, I don't think. Um, oh, sorry, puck. He's, he's yes. a puck because he's like a hockey puck. So it's like the way of getting hockey in. So he's another. Is he like a replacement Wolverine? Wolverine still at this point being a short man. Um. Well. The difference is that he's uh, an actual little person, um, and I am not cl- I, I'm not clued enough to know what the, the correct terminology is. But he he gets called a dwarf in the comic, mm-hmm. so we'll go with dwarf. He's it, an yeah, actual dwarf. It's, it is. I think a lot of persons probably closer to what you should be now. Um, but um, it's 1983. Two, three, two or three. Yeah. Yeah, 1983. No, it's 1983 because um, clearly. Uh, John Byrne's pal, who suggests this, has has said to him, I've just seen The Thing at the cinema. Wouldn't it be funny if The Thing was in The Thing? <laughs> yeah. And The Thing came out in August 1982. So, okay. And this came out in uh, April 83, so it would have been drawn a couple months before that, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't... Um, because I'm stupid, I hadn't realised that. But that makes total sense now that you've said that. 
uh, it doesn't help that I haven't seen The Thing. Um, Have you seen The Thing from Another World? Uh, nope. Have you seen The Thing? No. Ah, well, um, two of them are good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it hadn't occurred to me that. Um, uh, yeah, but now you've said that, it's really blindingly obvious. Um yeah, it's even called things and not what they seem. But I suppose yes, because yes, because the thing is not you know it's a it's foreshadowing. It's the the mark of quality literature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, foreshadowing is one of the things which occurs throughout this comic in terms mm-hmm. of cluing you into who the thing really is. So when we see the doctor in his lab and he's got his eye up against his microscope, the shadow in the background is a long. It's a long Mr. Fantastic style shadow arm. Yes. And then you also see it when he's been strangled, but the colorist has mucked up and colored it in purple rather than. I suppose it would be purple if it was Super Scrolls arm, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it could yeah, be. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, when I was reading, and then you've got the footprints, but it's invisible because it's used. And I thought, oh, that's. Yeah, he's at least got all the powers in before. It reveals that it's someone with all the powers. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, good old Super Scroll. He doesn't have much of a plan, does he? Although well, no. maybe that's in the next issue. In the next issue, um, and I don't want to talk too much about the next issue because it's, it's got some weird, interesting stuff in. Um, but yeah, Super Scroll was just sort of floating around in half space radiation. Um, and I can't remember why, but it was yeah, it was accidental that he got pulled down. He wasn't on his way anywhere. He was he was stuck. Well, this this will uh, be this is this is your your trademark of John Byrne, as as I understand it, and the, the bits and pieces that I've read, sort of post X Men. Yeah. Um, it's him looking at other people's work, going, "Oh no, you did that wrong. You f- you didn't finish this loose end. I'm going to tie it up. I'm going to do a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah." yeah. Uh, and certainly as he goes through his career, and, and I'm not a John Byrne expert at all, but I've read, I tried to read X-Men The Hidden Years, where he tries to fill in all the plot gaps from Stan mm-hmm. Lee's run on X-Men, and it's painful. It's, it's it's like, yeah, there's a lot of dialogue to explain why Magneto did a particular thing instead of a different particular thing, which made yep. more sense to John Byrne. Uh Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, he sort of he does that every time. He did the, you know, he sort of redid the Doom Patrol, and he did a, a Wonder Woman run, and obviously Superman as well. When he got to revamp that after Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's a whole lot of well, we're going to do it my way, which is the proper way. And he'll often say, um, "Let's take it back to how the original um, creator intended it to be," which yeah. often just means you know back to the point at which I was reading it. Um, yeah. I want it to be more like that again. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a, a willful and kind of pernicious nostalgia that uh, soaks his work after after the eighties, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. He, um, which I guess, which is one of the things which works for Alpha Flight because he's making everything up from scratch. Um, there's not a lot in it that happens. I mean, what he does do quite cheekily is in other issues and a little he alludes to it in this one when Wolverine turns up is that he is creating Wolverine's backstory in Alpha Flight um, away from 
away from X-Men. Mm-hmm. So when um, Wolverine says, my real name ain't nobody's business but my own, it's because they hadn't, they hadn't given him a proper backstory at this point. Yeah. Um, and nobody knew who's called Logan. Um, but in the pages of Alpha Flight, we find out that um, Wolverine, after he escaped from Weapon X, was sort of brought back to civilization by James and Heather Hudson, who are the, the leaders of Alpha Flight. Uh, and he was in Alpha Flight for a while before he went off to the X-Men. So there's lots of... So Wolverine pops up quite a lot through Alpha Flight uh, as John Byrne tries to reclaim him a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, him being the only other famous Canadian hero or the, the yeah. most preeminent one, you'd expect that. Yeah. Um, but okay, so what this issue gives me a chance to talk about a little bit is Sasquatch, because I really like the character of Sasquatch. He's got um, lovely hair. How, what kind of uh, sort of cleaning regime does he use, do you think? Um, I wouldn't hasten to guess. Would you say she takes two balls into the shower? <laughs> um, I maybe just rubs himself against trees or something. Um, I think uh, he definitely gets called ugly in a later issue. Mm-hmm. But um, what I like about him is that he. So you should hate everything about the character. So his origin, uh, which will come up in a different comic, I imagine, which I'll. I'm supposed to be covering on this podcast, but his origin is that he was a a world-class American footballer who became a world-class scientist who tried to perfect uh, Bruce Banner's work on gamma radiation, did an experiment, and instead of turning into a Hulk-type character, he turned into Sasquatch, uh, and he has control over it, so he can decide when he's a big, hairy monster who can who's super, super strong, or when he's a super good-looking man that everyone wants to flirt with. So but, you should hate everything about him. But i he's one of the characters in the book who is altruistic towards other people, whereas uh, very other character, very few other characters in Alpha Flight um, show any concern for their fellow men. <laughs> I mean, that origin sounds pretty plausible to me, all apart from the part, the bit where he said that he was a, a Canadian-American football player. Is that something that happens a lot? I don't know, actually. Yeah, maybe I he's American. Know. I can't remember. Well, he can't be, surely. Well, he did his experiment in Canada, which comes up as a plot pay, as a as a plot point later. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a particular reason why he did his experiment in Canada, um, plot wise. But um, he has a lovely big smile, almost he does. all the time, and when he's very he's very thing. jolly. Yeah, when he's picking up the thing, he has a a, a great big smile, um, and um, wonderful monkey feet, whereas its <laughs> big toe is kind of—it looks more like a thumb. Yes, um, and and I think um, I've said elsewhere, and I'll say it again. I think Byrne really enjoys drawing him. Um, there's an issue later on where he fights a version of himself, which just gives John Byrne an excuse to draw two massive hairy people instead of just one. Um, uh, yeah, and but. One of the things that he does well, which other artists who I've seen try and draw Sasquatch do badly, is um, the way he moves. It's not so much, Mm. you can't see it very much in this one, but he's definitely got sort of an ape-like gait, which is different from other superheroes, uh, and is one of the things I like about how he's drawn. I like how he almost looks like he's wearing a a brown tasseled leather jacket. White cloth, yeah. Yeah, that's 
well, that's because everything enlarges proportionately, I guess. Yeah, cool. there's one lovely, there's one lovely bit in this actually, which I liked, which was kind of it's probably something that they never go into. Yeah. Um, or maybe they do, maybe they do. Um, it's when he's hurt himself. There's just this bit where he says, um, "Feels like my arm might be broken." I don't dare try changing into Sasquatch until I'm sure. No telling how much damage I could do myself if broken bones start altering mass and shape. Yeah. Is that this one horrible sort of Cronenbergian, which is very Canadian again, yeah. uh, at moment which kind of really, really works. And it's like, oh, I like that. Well done. Yeah. Good. Tick. VG. Yes. And then... Um what we know is that when he changes, we learn later that he, when he changes back, that it doesn't affect his body at all. It doesn't horrendously affect uh, his human body. But then about two years on from that, maybe, maybe a year and a half on from that, mm-hmm. we, we find out why that was as well, which is a whole other plot point. Um, I think Byrne has an arc sketched out for Sasquatch. Because he, he did, just did 29 issues and he's like, I've, I've told all the stories I wanted to tell. So yeah, he obviously has an arc for Sasquatch. Um, and so there's some stuff in this comic which feeds into his later stuff. Um, like that, the body thing. Like changing his body. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, well, it's not a spoiler really. I don't really care. So... No, I won't talk about it now. I've got to try and be as strict with my format as possible. Otherwise, I'll just talk <laughs> about the all of Alpha Flight instead of just the issue that we've got. Right, so uh, next few questions I've got for you is, and I think we've covered some of them, uh, is what did you like and what didn't you like? I liked his bones not being well. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Bones were good. I liked the fact I guessed it was Super Scroll, despite still not entirely being sure. Um, where I know him from, I guess it must, I must have read him. In, it must be in Fantastic Four or something. Yeah, probably. But yeah. I kind of liked the the desperate sort of Virginia Andrews melodrama of uh, the Aurora story. Um, there's something about it that just skirts around it being quite a grim read. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, a, it's definitely a distasteful read, um, but that's pretty much what I like anyway. So, uh, and you know, always, always like to see um, a mean nun. It's, 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 yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's like um, the trouble with angels with superpowers in, in, in high speed. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed this either. Um, is that when she goes to the bar and she's talking to the man in the white suit, the bartender there uh, doesn't have a top on. He doesn't have a top on. No, he doesn't. It's uh, uh, which I, I've not been to any Canadian bars, so I can't say whether that's factually accurate. It's still a topless bar. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what yeah, did you like about it's... it? Or the art? I mean, uh, yeah. Well, didn't I like? I mean, sort of um, the typical kind of nineteen eighty three threats of sexual violence as a plot point. Um, the colouring is horrendous, but again, that's very much um, of its time. I'm reading it di- digitally, um, yeah. so obviously a lot of the issues with the colour could be because the, the colours just aren't being soaked into the paper. 
Um, um, well, because I'm reading it in a tray, a, a tray, like a reprint. Yeah. So the whites are white. Um, yeah. And yeah, he, he's got a proper pink cardigan on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just not a fan of um, Burns. Very clear, very serviceable, incredibly dull staging. It, it doesn't do anything for me at all. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it, there's nothing particularly wrong with it, except there's just no, there's no there there, if you, if you see what I mean. I see what you mean. Okay. Uh, right. Uh, and I've got on my paper, what next? But I don't know what that question means anymore. I obviously wrote it a few weeks ago. Um, okay, I think that pretty much roundly covers off this issue. I don't think there's anything in it to talk about that we haven't covered. Have you got anything else? Well, we, we, we could, yeah, we could talk about for a long time about the um, uh, Robert Service, the, the poet that is quoted on the first page. I don't uh, know anything about Robert Service. Well, he's, Robert he's, Service. he's an interesting character. He was... Um, he was a banker, I believe. I think he, he emigrated from Britain and then sort of became uh, one of sort of Canada's most successful, but not necessarily most critically um, acclaimed um, uh, poets. Although he didn't, I think when I was reading about him, there was a thing saying that he, he preferred to be known as a writer of verse than poetry. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so certainly um, he was sort of compared to McGonagall or um, Kipling. I thought those are certainly unique voices. Um, yeah. uh, one thing I did read about him, which is quite interesting, was his. Um, so he everything was first draft with him. He would just everything was kind of pour out of him. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of see why John Byrne would like. <laughs> <laughs> this so he's, he's kind of this very successful but not necessarily critically acclaimed uh writer who uh, you know he's, he's popular but but maybe yeah. people don't quite give him the um the the due that he deserves i don't know i don't know i think i, I can imagine burn being very much in his story uh but uh yeah, at least, like I say, it was just one of these lovely Canadian... I do like the bits where it just goes full Canada. I think I would like to see just more of that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, there are... there are. Um, he does his best to make everything as Canadian as possible. Um, I can't think of any specific howling examples at the moment. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, he does his best. To differentiate it from the pesky American superheroes. Of course, though, is he is Byrne actually Canadian anyway, or is he actually? No, from what I remember, he was born in Britain and then grew up in the States. So I'm not sure. So sometimes the the Canadian stuff feels like he has read a guidebook to Canada mm-hmm. and then turned whichever sentence he read into a into a plot point. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, yes, there's a second, in a in a future comic. There's a whole thing about Lake Ontario, and he, he gives us some stats about Lake Ontario. Um, in a story which could have happened in any other body of water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of the the beginning of the the thing story there too. Um, I, I can imagine he was probably a very keen viewer of SCTV as well. Uh, possibly. Oh, well, is that the Rick Moranis thing? 
Yes, yes. Right. Uh, I've not watched that either. I'm probably oh, the worst person should, to host. You, 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 should, you should certainly try and see Strange Brew, which is a, a lovely Canadian uh, film, which is the, um, the Adventures of Bob and uh, Doug McKenzie. And, uh, a lot of fun. Okay, I'll, I'll have a look for it. Um, and I would be surprised, actually, at that point in time if they don't turn up in it in some uh, form or other. Uh, yeah, there are some... Uh, whom I, uh, I can't think if there's any Canadian people who turn up in it. The, the, the president is is drawn as... the I think he's the president at the time. Trudeau mm-hmm. uh, turns up. And I'm trying to think of uh, anybody else. I suppose... No, I can't think of anything. Uh, and rather than listen to silence while I try to remember, <laughs> to figure it out. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll um, we'll draw to a close. Um, Douglas, if anybody yes. would like to uh, find you on the internet or buy any of your things, uh, where could they do that? And are you working on anything in particular at the moment which you think people might be interested in? I am doing all kinds of things, as usual. Um, so, uh, best way to um, find me is just to Google my name, to be honest, just Douglas Snowball. Um, but, um, in specific, my website is www.strip-for-me.com That's stripforme.com with dashes in the middle. Um yeah, um, so, and there's a Patreon, which is, now is my Patreon, it's Patreon, it is indeed uh, patreon.com slash Douglas Noble, where I'm serialising a comic called The Lies of the Saints, um, which is um, the history of a family told through lies that they tell. Every page is a, a sort of snapshot of um one lie told through history, starting in, I think it's about 1660, going up to the modern day. Um, so that's sort of an ongoing thing, page a week on that. Um, I'm currently working on the next issue of Strip For Me, which is my comic, which will be called um, Variations on a Fire. Um, I'm also working with Sean Azapardi on a new version of our comic, uh, Sightings of Wallace Sendek, uh, about a um, Sightings of a pop star after he disappears. Um, yeah, and lots of other things. Lots of other things. Um, always keep busy. <coughs> yeah, um, sort of similarish to me. Uh, so I am on the internet as Gerthink, which... Uh, listeners familiar with the podcast will know is G-R-T-H-I-N-K that's me on Twitter um, www.gerthink.com is my website gerthink.bigcartel.com is my shop where you can buy books like Found Forest Floor and my comic Intercoastal 683 uh, I'm currently working on my next book which is called Petricor and I am also working on this podcast obviously Hello, uh, yeah. Uh, that's me. And uh, that is this episode of Life of Life.